Hello everyone. Do you like reading? Do you like walking? Do you like thinking about your life? Then we have got something for you. Our Common Ground Pilgrimages are going to be announcing our slate of fall and winter 2020 pilgrimages on March 2nd. So if you sign up for our newsletter at readingandwalkingwith.com, you will be the first to know when registration launches and only people on our newsletter will get 30 minutes early registration access and it's first come first serve. So signing up first might mean the difference between getting a spot or not. There's less than 20 spots on each pilgrimage and one of them might be involving me and a book that we all love. So you're talking about you leading a pilgrimage with he's just not that into you? A hundred percent, yeah. <laughs> oh my God, I'm there. So that's readingandwalkingwith.com. Sign up to the newsletter. Be the first to know about our pilgrimages this year. Chapter 11, Quidditch. As they entered November, the weather turned very cold. The mountains around the school became icy gray, and the lake like chilled steel. Every morning, the ground was covered in frost. Hagrid could be seen from the upstairs windows, defrosting broomsticks on the Quidditch field. I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And I'm Casper Turkile. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I'm from Los Angeles, which is the home of the movie industry. And so I was raised just obsessed with the Academy Awards. I do not remember the first time I watched the Academy Awards because I think I did it sort of in the womb. And what I distinctly remember is when I was eight years old, Whoopi Goldberg was hosting. And it was certainly the first time an African-American woman was hosting, but it really might have even been the first time a woman was hosting. And at the end of the show, she turned directly toward the camera and she said, I want to say to all the little girls out there that if you have a dream, if I can make it, you can. And I just remember at eight being so moved by that. And it was, I think it was the first time it occurred to me that successful people started out as little girls and little boys who like weren't automatically successful, but it had never occurred to me to have a goal or a dream. Um, you know, it's just going through my life. And I just remember I had never wanted to be in the movie industry. I'd never cared about winning an Academy Award. And in that moment, I was like, I want to win an Academy Award. And it was a very short-lived goal, but um, it was the first time I can remember having a goal. And it's so interesting to look back on in, in the context of this chapter because Harry has just learned what Quidditch is. You know, he, he didn't know what Quidditch was just a few months ago, and suddenly this is the most important thing in the world to him. And I was just reminded of how you can get inspired to have a goal out of nowhere and how exciting that moment can be. I can just see you sitting there watching Whoopi Goldberg. That's really, that's really poignant. And it's so interesting to think of like that first moment when we consciously try to make something a goal. Um, I love that story. Thank you. Before we jump into this week's theme, I just want to say thank you to everybody because I have won the 30-second recap challenge no. for the first round in the first 10 episodes. Shame. Shame. <laughs> Shame. We will be posting a photo of Casper being consensually humiliated. And next episode, you have to bring me Hagrid's cake. I'll get baking. I will share the cake with you. <laughs> okay. I want green icing and I want it to say happy birthday Harry on it. 
Do you think a supermarket will like make that cake? <laughs> Homemade, a little bit smushed. Come on, Casper, uh, stay on point. So to start my comeback, um, I'm in the advantage of going second because Vanessa's going first this week. So Vanessa, are you ready for your 30 second recap of chapter 11? I'm ready to beat you again in this round. Yes. <laughs> it's frightening to go up against you. I think that's what happens is I'm intimidated. Because all five foot two of me is terrifying. <laughs> Three, two, one, go. So in this chapter, it gets cold out and Harry decides, nope, Harry doesn't decide. Harry has to start really practicing for Quidditch and he practices a lot. And then it's the first Quidditch match and Harry is really nervous. He can't eat. Hermione has given him a book. Hermione and Ron and Harry are friends now. And Harry is playing and he's playing really well. And then suddenly his broom is out of control. And Hermione and Ron and Neville realize that Snape is bewitching his broom. And so Hermione distracts him. And then Harry wins and catches the snitch in his mouth. And that's what happened. Oh, that was... Not great. That was risky play. <laughs> you did the same mistake that I did before where you start with the first line where you're like, it was cold out. I do. I'm proud of you for talking smack. It's fine. <laughs> I still feel like I hit all the main points. You know. Okay, let's hear you do better. Are you ready? Yeah, bring it on. On your mark, get set, go. This chapter is the chapter about the big Quidditch game where Harry and Gryffindor take on Slytherin. Uh, Oliver Wood, sexy, gives a big um, spiel to the team and everyone laughs. They start the game and it's going well, um, but um, Marcus Flint is scary and um, Harry is chasing the the snitch, uh, but then suddenly his broom gets bewitched and Hermione and Ron get joined by Hagrid and they look over at Snape and he's like looking up at the broom and enchanting things. So um, Hermione runs around, lights him on fire and actually knocks over um, Quirrell. Ugh, that wasn't much better. You didn't even get to the fact that Harry caught the snitch and Oh, he catches the snitch. I feel like I included a really vital piece about Quirrell. Yes, no, that is really important. So let's figure out what's going on in this chapter with this theme of goals. Harry is clearly obsessed with Quidditch. You know, he's nervous before the game. He's so excited to play. He goes out on the field and really is trying to win. He suddenly likes reading so much because he's excited that this book has anything to do with Quidditch. He's just like desperate for knowledge about the sport. And I'm so curious what's motivating him at this point. I get that he wants to show off a little bit. He wants to be better than Malfoy. You know, he's breaking the norm. He's a first year and first years are usually not allowed on the Quidditch team. So there's a little bit of that look at me, attention seeking thing, which we know that's all real for Harry. But it feels like there's more than that going on for him. Yes. I think it is partly that, like, getting on a broom was the first magical thing that he could do that felt natural to him, right? And part of the motivation has to be that this is just fun. Right, and he has a new thing to do with Ron together and talk about, and it's a way for him to belong in the magical world. But I think the fact that there are so many different reasons why he has this goal— I mean, that's very true to my experience of, you know, he he really knows he wants to do this, but he's still discovering why. And I think that's something that happens to me. Like sometimes I'm just taken by a goal and it doesn't quite crystallize in my mind why I want to do it until I do. And then sometimes I find out that the reasons for wanting it were actually not that great. Do you know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. I think that more and more in social media culture, there's always that weird goal. I went to Rome and I loved going to Rome and it was super cultural and I got to visit my friend and also like the photos were awesome that I got to post on Facebook, right? Exactly. You like do certain things for that. But I want to say when I was training to be a hospital chaplain, I expressed that concern to my supervisor and I 
was like, sometimes I worry that I'm doing this. You know, you like sit with dying people and all of these things that sound like these really good deeds. And I said to her, I'm worried that I do this for my ego or because I like the drama. Like, it's just interesting. And she was like, whatever it takes to get you to sit with a dying person for 14 hours, it doesn't matter. And I think about that sometimes of because I do believe intentions matter because it impacts the way that you actually go about doing something. But I just think of what Pam said a lot of like, if it feeds your ego, fine. As long as you show up and you stay there for those 14 hours, that's what really matters. Exactly. So I guess with Harry, what matters is that he he plays well and, you know, he he does his best. He inspires House Pride. Absolutely. And he's not doing anyone any harm. So go, Harry. Go, Harry. Whatever your goal is, dream big, young man. Um. Another goal that happens on the Quidditch pitch, which I think is really interesting, is the moment where Harry's broomstick is being knocked around and is acting funny and he might fall off of it. There's this great moment where the whole crowd was on its feet, watching terrified, as the Weasleys flew up to try and pull Harry safely onto one of their brooms. But it was no good. Every time they got near him, the broom would jump higher still. They dropped lower and circled beneath him, obviously hoping to catch him if he fell. And then it's Marcus Flint sees the Quaffle, the Slytherin player, and scored five times without anyone noticing. And so the stark difference between these two goals, and we can talk about whether or not it's Gryffindor versus Slytherin or if any team would just sort of take that advantage. But the Weasley's goal immediately becomes to save Harry, and then freaking Marcus Flint's goal stays just to keep scoring. I think it's such a lovely thing to point out because, you know, sometimes our goals have to change very quickly. And the Weasleys are so responsive to a friend in need, a teammate in need. And, you know, it says so much about who they are and the family they come from and the commitment that they have to to helping people. But I, that's a good question about if they were playing Hufflepuff, would Hufflepuff have been like, OK, time out, everyone. Um, yes. And, <laughs> which is why you're Hufflepuff. For me as a Slytherin, I think about... Sure, that's it. It's just very unsportsman's like, unsportspersons like. Um, but it, but it says something more about the disregard for other people's safety or other people's well-being, which is, which is just a nasty side of that kind of ambition. You know, winning at any cost. Actually, winning shouldn't be at any cost. There are things that cost more than winning. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the most beautiful moments in sports, right? When, like, both teams suddenly get worried about somebody. Even before the referee sometimes. Like, referee might not see it, and both teams step back and say, like, hang on, we need a timeout. Yeah, I love those moments. I also, to your goals changing point, it's something that drives me nuts in other people when they don't have an emergency mode. I feel like people of privilege... (laughs) don't always realize when something bad has happened and don't switch into, oh, my previous goals no longer matter. Now we have to deal with the fact that this person fell right in front of me and they'll keep walking, just assuming that everything is going to turn out well. So maybe the Slytherins, this also maybe gets to their assumption that nothing bad actually ever happens. Like Harry will be fine. So I do think it's very Slytherin. I'm sorry. I do that Marcus Flint is like, oh, Harry might die. I'm going to use this opportunity to score five goals. Well, a couple of episodes ago, we talked about how, you know, bullies change the rules all the time and that that's just another tactic of way to keep control. And I feel like in some ways, Flint is sticking to the rules of the game, using the opportunity to score. Sure, it's not quite sports 
spokespersons like. I agree. But there is something about the difficulty of changing in that moment. You know, maybe Flint hasn't seen – I'm maybe stretching our, our <laughs> metaphors here. but. I think- that's fair. But it can be so difficult to adjust when new information comes or when, you know, the circumstances change and, you know, other people are very quickly pivoting and you're like, well, hang on. This is what we're here to do. Is this really that urgent? Maybe Flint is just saying, you know, if Madame Hooch hasn't blown a whistle, I'm just going to keep playing. Right. It can't be that serious. Which, by the way, where is the rest of the Hogwarts faculty at this moment? <laughs> you know, I'm like, surely someone can conjure some sort of giant trampoline. Come why on, does, team. Yeah. Why doesn't Madam Hooch call a timeout? Hooch is probably just like checking her Tinder profile. <laughs> <laughs> I will say, though, it does. It drives me nuts when somebody doesn't understand that something bad is happening. And I think sometimes it's denial, like you don't understand that something bad is happening to you, right? Like after a car accident, you're like, I'm fine. And there's this like, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm fine. Even if you're like bleeding from the head, just because 30 seconds ago, you were someone who was walking through the world fine. And now suddenly you're bleeding through the head. But I just feel like I feel like I've seen moments where, for example, <laughs> I love my students, But, you know, when the Boston Marathon bombing happened, they were coming to me and, like, asking, are my assignments still going to be due? And it's like, okay, I understand that those are your concerns, but let that not be your concern right now, right? Let's get into a different mindset. And they've been training their whole lives for 18 years to be diligent students. And they were scared, right? But I just think it's our job to, like, stay on alert, especially nowadays. Things happen in an instant, We have to be ready to pivot. I'm not saying live in constant fear of something terrible happening and getting into emergency mode. But being adaptable is something that's kind of necessary. And observant to the world around you. But yes, I also think – I think it's a good reading. It's fair. There's a few other small little moments where I think we see an interesting take on goals in this chapter. And one is Hermione, of course. You know, we know her goal is learning. And the first place we see that is, you know, she buys all sorts of books that she's really not that interested in, like Quidditch Through the Ages, because she's just so keen. Um, But also that she, when the boys need help with their homework, she says, I'm not going to let you copy. How will you learn? But, you know, I will help you once you've had a go, which I think is just really lovely that, you know, there are some rules that are not worth breaking and some some commitments that are worth keeping. And that her goal isn't just for her to learn, but just like for learning, right? It's really sweet. I love that. The final goal that struck me in reading this chapter is really what's going on with Voldemort. We know, spoiler alert, spoiler alert, he's in the back of Quirrell's head. Quirrell is the one who's actually jinxing Harry's broom. And I wondered why does Voldemort want to kill Harry here? Does he want it to be an accident? Does he not want it to look like Voldemort is back and has power again? It it just seemed curious to me that this is the way he's trying to kill Harry, which we have to be honest about. That's what he's trying to do. And so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think of that? Why is Voldemort choosing this moment, this very public arena to attack Harry. I have no idea. And I'm trying to make sense of it. I feel like he's taking on too big a goal too early. Like, Voldemort, sit down, get your body back first, and then we'll have a go. And I feel like that's something which we can all learn from. (laughs) Well, you know, I think maybe that is the lesson he learns. But that is really interesting. I don't know what Voldemort's goal is there. I mean, I know what his goal is there, but I don't know why he's choosing. Yeah, I have no idea what he's up to (laughs) But I'm glad he doesn't succeed because then the books would end here and that would suck. Amen. (laughs) End of podcast.
This week is going to be our final week of the Ignatian spiritual imagination practice, just for a little while. And just to remind everyone, St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order, had this wonderful practice where you imagined yourself into a story. And so that's what we're going to do again in this very short little passage, Vanessa, that I've chosen. And I want you to imagine that you are in the crowd looking up at the Quidditch pitch, I guess, the Quidditch air pitch. And I just want you to think about what do you feel and hear, the different senses, how are they engaging you in this in this moment? So, what house am I in? That is a great question. I'm going to put you in Ravenclaw. Interesting. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Here we go. Harry saw it. In a great rush of excitement, he dived downwards after the streak of gold. Slytherin seeker Terence Higgs had seen it too. Neck and neck they hurtled towards the snitch. All the chasers seemed to have forgotten what they were supposed to be doing as they hung in midair to watch. I'm just going to go with my first thought is I thought about all the times that I go to baseball games with my brothers and I love baseball and there are really exciting moments. But for the most part, I just go to hang out with my brothers. And so I am distracted and don't really care, you know, about what happens on the field. And so I was imagining myself as a Ravenclaw without a vested interest in this game. And like, you sort of go for the social aspect. And You're like working on your charms homework and everyone suddenly erupts into cheers. Yeah. And so you like stand up and you're like, oh, oh cool. And then what you're just like, happened? yeah, exactly. Um, but you know, the other thing is like those really exciting moments where suddenly I'm watching the game and I get drawn in and I get pulled to my feet. Um, but I think that being a spectator is interesting because if you're going with friends, it's also performative. You're like, oh, yeah, I totally care. Look, I'm wearing this jersey. And I just think that there are a lot of different reasons to show up to watch a Quidditch match. And there are a lot of different ways to watch a Quidditch match. Yeah, it's so funny to think what we're like at sporting events. I I was 13 when I went to my first soccer, like English football match. And it was up in Leeds, a town that was far away from my home. I decided to support Leeds United because I'd started boarding school and I realized I needed a team. And David O'Leary, who was the manager of Leeds United at the time, had this sexy Irish accent. So I was like, I choose you, Leeds United. <laughs> and so my dad took me up for a game and like I was in the stands and it felt so intense because you have all of these half drunk, like fat, big guys around you, half of them not wearing shirts, half of them like shouting so loudly. And then like when Leeds scored and we beat Newcastle 3-2, everyone is hugging each other. Like there's this incredible intimacy and connection with these people who you really don't know at all. And so I wonder if that happens in the stands here with the Ravenclaws. Are they all like hugging each other? Are they hugging Gryffindors? Do they take sides? Or are they really just disinterested? But my sense is that if you're in a situation like that, you get drawn in. And that honestly, the overall thing that I felt was that (gasps) as he dove moment. So even though I have all of these mixed feelings and I have so many critical feelings of sports, but I got drawn in. Yesterday I was at the gym and I watch my favorite TV show on my iPad when I'm working out on the bike and something exciting happened on my show and I gasped and I gasped so loudly that the man on the bike next to me burst out laughing. So I absolutely felt that excitement even as a Ravenclaw and even as somebody who is critical. Thanks, Casper, for that great passage. I loved it. Next week, we're going to transition to a Jewish practice, our first Jewish practice that we're going to do called Havruta. So I'm really excited to teach you about that. Thank you. I'm looking forward to it. 
Vanessa, it's time to bless our chosen characters this chapter. Who do you want to bless this week? There is this wonderful moment in the middle of the chapter where Oliver Wood, sexy Oliver Wood, as you like to call him, Dreamboat. Um, starts his like inspirational speech and he says, okay, men. And chaser Angelina Johnson replies, and women. And it gets exhausting to have to remind people about who you are. And Angelina just, you know, like she doesn't reprimand him about it, but she's very clear. She's like, and women. And I think these are really important moments, right? We see such poor representation of women in any leadership capacities. And even the language excludes women. And so I think that until we change language to be more inclusive, like we need these interventions at all moments. So I want to bless Angelina for her relentless feminism. Amen. My blessing is for Neville this week. He shows up throughout this chapter in small ways. You know, he's snoring. He has made this banner. And when Harry's in mortal danger on that broom up in the sky, you know, he hides his face. And there's a moment where Ron turns to him and says, Neville, you can look, Ron said. Neville had been sobbing into Hagrid's jacket for the last five minutes. And I'm really bad with horror movies. I'm fine in crisis situations, but I don't want to be scared. And so my blessing is for Neville and anyone who just who has to look away when it gets scary, because I think that's totally valid. And it doesn't make him less of a Gryffindor, right? He's still a brave kid. He's just also a kid that, like... Feels his feelings. Yeah. This week's voicemail is from Michael Ritchie in Sussex, England. And I I thought you would hoot or something. That's where I'm from. (laughs) Yeah. That's so cool. And first of all, Michael, we just want to thank you for your voicemail, and we'll listen to it here. Uh, Hi, guys. Um, I've just listened to your episode on uh, the Midnight Duel about betrayal. And I loved all that you were saying about McGonagall because she's my favorite character and she's amazing. Um, But I wondered if you would consider it a further betrayal to Harry that when he first meets McGonagall, um, she appears to be this very stern and severe woman. And then within days, this has happened and she's so excited about Quidditch. And he's gone, actually, she's not mad she's really nice and has this sort of like edge to her that's so obsessed with sport that's really quite cute um and i don't know if that is proper it's not really betrayal i suppose it's the opposite of a betrayal it's when you think something's bad and it turns out to be good um but i I think it sort of emphasizes the fact that the world he's now stepped into everything is going to make him surprised and everything's going to be not what it appears on the surface. Um, McGonagall in that chapter also reminds me of a teacher that I had when I was at school um, who was called Mr. Williams. He'd never taught me up until um, I went into the upper school, it's like sixth form, and his reputation around the school was as absolutely terrifying. And on my first day of sixth form, I had a meeting with him. We all had to be interviewed by one of the sixth form heads, and mum was with him, and it turned out he was the nicest man in the world. So maybe first impressions can be some sort of betrayal. If you get a bad one, you may miss out on a relationship that's actually really fulfilling and important. Um, Anyway, just wanted to share that thought with you. Um, Loving the show. Cheers. Michael, thank you so much for that really thoughtful voicemail. What it makes me think about is something that I hadn't thought about in terms of one of the gifts of reading through a theme, which is that 
what we're learning is that the lens through which we're seeing is really going to impact the way that we read something. So a few weeks ago, I read McGonagall's sternness as this amazing gift. And then, you know, this past week, it was that, oh, it's a betrayal that she doesn't follow the rules. And I've been a total hypocrite in that, but not intentionally. I was I was looking for something and I found it. And I think that you know, the lesson to me is really, if I see betrayal in something, I should try to then look through the lens of generosity and see if that rings as true. You know, if you go looking for something, you're much more likely to find it. And so we should, you know, it's our choices as to what we can look for. And we can see whether or not it changes what we actually find. Thanks for calling in, Michael, especially for my home county. This week, we have a special guest in the studio. My mom is in town from California, and so we obviously immediately put her to work. And so we are going to make her read the credits for this week. But first, we just want to say that next week's reading will be the chapter, The Mirror of Erised, and we will be reading towards the theme of white privilege. Mom? You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text, produced by Ariana Nettleman, Vanessa Zoltan, and Casper Turkile. Please remember to subscribe and review. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook, where we continue the conversation, have bonus content, and send updates and announcements. This week, we would like to thank Jen Stark, Emily Colgan, social media coordinators. Indiana, India Garms, Kirsty Schneeberger, our Kickstarter supporter, Solitaire Townsend. Our music is by Ivan Pizzo and Nick Bull. Thanks to Rebecca and Charlie Ledley, Lauren Taylor and Shane Bannon and Rufus, the Harvard Communications Office, the Harvard Humanist Hub, and the wonderful Harry Potter and the Sacred Text reading groups. Thank you for listening. Oh God! How do we start? (laughs) Welcome to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. I'm Vanessa Zoltan, and I'm Casper Terkyle. This week we're reading Chapter Eleven, Quidditch, through the theme of goals. Is that good? I mean, that's not what we actually say. (laughs) No. (laughs) What do we actually say? What do we actually say?